big decisions, paths followed, choices made. This is Connections, conversations about life and work. I'm your host, Jim Allen. Dennis Dimitrov. Jim Allen. I haven't seen you. I got my calculator out. I haven't seen you in 35 years. Uh, now we're sounding old, Jim. That <laughs> we is. are. Try not to think of it in those terms. So in that 35 yep. years, you you spent 30 years as a police constable yep. for Halton. Yes. In yes. Halton. Yes. So in other words, I missed your entire career. And you're retired now. I am. Uh, just uh, seven months retired. I retired in July. I uh, don't do the math, but I think it's seven months. So I don't get to talk to many police officers mm-hmm. or former police officers. So I'm going to talk to about the beginning of your career because I remember you back then. So let's mm-hmm. start. Let's start at the beginning. So okay. I remember you back then. We met at summer camp. So we Moreland, did. Moreland's Mor- camp. Moreland's. I've actually done an interview with the current Moreland's executive director. If you're watching this, anybody, you can look. At, it's oh, a great I'll interview. It. I'll check it out. Things have changed a lot since then. Back and you were my boss. You were assistant director for a couple summers. Well, I never looked at it that way. Though. Well, I did. You, okay. you were my boss, and then you scared me. No, you didn't scare me. You were the big, <laughs> lovable Dennis. Big, big, lovable Dennis. Gentle giant. You were a gentle oh, giant. Okay. And you probably carried that on. So what I so it was Moreland's then. I, we kind of lost touch, but I was aware that you worked at, what, Fred Victor Mission? Yep. I, uh, that was my first job out of college. Worked at the men's hostel for just under a year. And yeah. then you were, then I was definitely aware that you worked in Regent Park and some other places. Yeah. And, and Regent Park at the time uh, was in, like inner city, lower income. Of course. But those sort of like, some of those kids also went to camp. So there was kind of a camp connection there as well. So you were kind of dealing right. That's with. That's right. Uh, or interacting with the same kind of kids. Yep. Now tell me about that job. Yeah, so Were you community the, uh, officer? I guess it would now would be the Toronto Community Housing, I think they're called. Back right. then it was Metro Metro Toronto Housing Authority. So they had a specialized security branch that I just became aware of when I was at college. And uh, anyways, I went for them and I worked for them for six years. So um, I did work, at, you know, talking to all the, the housing uh, projects across, uh, across Toronto Anywhere from the Jane Finch Corridor down to Regent Park at Scarborough. Worked all those projects for six years. And it was good. And and in was right. Yeah. So camp was, uh, you know, camp was a big part of both our lives. Um, and it, you know, we worked with some, you know, uh, wonderful kids and challenging kids as well. And I did encounter quite a f- number of them when I worked on the projects, uh, which is just, was just an icebreaker, right? They would look at, hey, I know you. Hey, I know you. So what was the, what's the actual job title? Were you a security uh, yeah, it's basically security. security. It was a security officer, but they had a job title called project officer. Right. And uh, today, it's sort of uh, evolved into a special constable program. But at the time, uh, our company was called Community Guardian uh, Limited, and we wore uh, just green jackets. We had a little crest up there, but we were, had investigative powers. That's about it. And it was a security function. So what I also remember about you, mm-hmm. um, and I don't know if it's you told me that or maybe a friend, um, a mutual friend, but you always, always, always wanted to be a cop, right? Always yeah, wanted so. to be a cop. Of course. Yep. And you applied yeah. five, or, five or ten times, is that? Is that or, yeah, I didn't think you would go all the way back there, Jim, but uh, yeah, I did. I tried, I'm here to uh, embarrass you, Dennis. So. Well, not embarrassed, but I. Uh, but it was a tough go. I do remember going. I wanted it early. Um, I hit the goalpost a number a number of times. I don't think it was ten. Maybe it was uh, Maybe it was six times over, over a uh, ten-year period. So and, this is uh, what I heard, though. Okay. And the reason me. you weren't yep. getting hired... 
was because uh, somebody uh, somewhere along, like maybe you s were getting uh, frustrated and you said, well, you got some feedback perhaps. Yep. Why aren't, why aren't, tell me the truth. Why aren't you hiring me? And it was like, well, like this is just what I heard. Doesn't yes, mean that's the truth. Yes. Okay. Um, what did you um, hear? I had, heard, the feedback you got is like, they look at your resume, Moreland's Camp, Fred Victor Mission, Regent Park. They're going, oh, you want to, you want to be a social worker. Mm -hmm. Is that, so mm -hmm. is that, was that true? Well, I think that definitely played a part with some of the police services I was uh, going for. And I went to the selection board in Peel, and I can say that would have been the reason. So the selection board uh, in Peel is your, they tell you right after you're in or you're out. And uh, it was a, it was a tough hit, but, uh, but yeah, that's the feedback I got that, okay, you're, you're too nice. And, right. uh, and I'm like, okay, well, uh, sure. Uh, but that's who I was, right? That's who I, who I was, uh, how I, what's my makeup. So, uh, yeah, so about compassion and things like that. We all sort of had that, uh, uh, from our, you know, working at our camp that uh, we, we care about people. So did you alter your strategy going into interviews? Like, how did you eventually get a job then? You eventually I, got hired. What, well, it's in interesting. Right? I mean, uh, I was big on volunteer service and uh, doing what I could. So I, uh, I had went from the housing authority uh, to working for the city of York, now, now uh, at city of Toronto, of course. And I was a bylaw supervisor there. But while I was doing that, I, uh, I was living in Oakville. And I, and I saw the police and I thought, okay, let me see what I can do there. So volunteer-wise, instead of uh, say joining a service club or something, I joined auxiliary police, which I did that for one year. And something happened. So that's that not was, paid. That's it wasn't paid. paid right. So, the, you know, you're, you're there for the parade functions. Uh, you get to go ride-alongs. Um, it was a nice way to give back. And at the same time, it sort of answered a little desire that I had. Uh, but at that time, I was doing really well at my job. I was, you know, going up the ladder. And... Um, and then the opportunity came. Something happened at that auxiliary job, and it was a situation, somebody with a knife, and I had to stand forward, even though that's not my role, but I had to stand forward, and it uh, became quite a situation. And they basically told me after, like, you, we want you to apply for this job. So when I did apply for Halton, uh, that particular year, I was one of six people hired. And even me, I had to pinch myself. Like, I had, you know, hit the goalpost all these times, and, and I'm one of only six they're hiring that year. So I was. And... Uh, and I haven't looked back as far as that career went. Now, I went through your social media, which still is up there. And I, I, I oh. guess you, t you tweeted a bit. And oh, I know you're on, I'm not on Facebook at all, but I know okay. you're on Facebook yes. and yeah. there's Twitter and stuff. But you got feedback from like uh, people that you had trained. Uh, here's a quote from a colleague of yours uh, who's actually de deputy chief now, Roger Wilkie. Uh, a special shout out to my coach officer, Dennis Dimitrov, who 23 years ago modeled the way on the relational aspect of policing. Dennis taught me how to talk to people, de-escalate and control situations, influence others and serve our community. So thank you, Dennis. And I get a, I get a, a sense through some other posts and some other, you know, when you retired, there was some nice things said as well. Yes. But you, you, we talk about this social work approach, but you kind of had a more of a humanitarian approach to policing. Is that fair to say? Things. Well, first of all, I mean, uh, Deputy Wilkie was an amazing talent. He'd been successful in whatever he had done. Um, but I, he was one of the early ones. I was a coach officer. So when the officers go to the police college, they have their uh, basic training. Then they come back to the region and they're with uh, an officer up to maybe three months and just, you know, two car, uh, two car training. Um, and, uh, you know, they learned the ins and outs of the job and that actually the applied part of it. So when I joined back in uh, 1990, 1991, 
um, community policing was really at the, uh, they were, they were really selling it really high. So I, I absorbed it. I thought, okay, this is me. This is set up perfectly for me. So it's about owning your zone, owning your community, being part of it, and your interpersonal relationships that you develop everywhere. Um, so part of that I did uh, when I was in the housing authority, and it transferred really well when I was a police officer. So I became the community officer, right? Uh, and most of my career was up in Halton Hills, the north part of Halton region. So they right. uh, they just seemed to recognize me as, as being that face that they can approach. Like I, don't get me wrong, I loved emergency response. Like I loved going to the big call um, and dealing with it in whatever way we needed to deal with it. Um, but there was also the thing about treat people right, eh? And treat people the way that you want to be treated. And if they've made a mistake, well, we're in the business of dealing with people that make mistakes. Does that mean we write them off for the rest of their life? No, no, no. It just means that we, they have to be accountable for whatever they had done. But you treat them, you know, you treat them well, you treat them with respect and, um, and you just move on from there. And I was able to like, you know, over the years, like I had people would call me up and tell me, listen, you guys are looking for me. I'm only going to turn myself into you. And I think, well, why? <laughs> well, because I trust you that you're going to treat me okay. I said, okay, I'll see you at work. Uh, when I get, get into work, um, you know, you come in, we'll nice clean rest and we'll do what we have to do. And other times too, if I dealt with some, I had a, a, well, more, a few people that I had arrested on more than one occasion. And it was always the same talk. We'd be across from a table and I would say, okay, this is the last time, right? Like you're going to turn things around. You're going to get some help for whatever that problem is that's putting you in this direction. And um, this is after you've arrested them. Basically. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I always had the same talk, right? Or I'd right. be coming into work one day and someone else may have arrested someone that I knew quite well. And I would go see them back in the uh, in the custody area and say, you know, hey, what's going on? I thought we had a talk last time that you weren't going to go down this way anymore. And it was those type of things that, um, you know, uh, maybe be fairly successful, especially in, in the community, right? So, and there was times when, you know, I had some run-ins with some individuals and then another time I'd be dealing with them and, and uh, let's say I was wearing my, one of my other hats later in my career and the individual who thought couldn't stand me, like, oh no, I'm only dealing with that guy. Right. And it was, it went away. And I guess the final thing too is being at it for so long, uh, you know, there were people that, uh, okay, I may have arrested them as a teenager. Well, then they became parents and that was their kids. Uh, you know, in those 30 years that I had to deal with. And uh, and it was usually good, right? And uh, yeah, I guess it, it was, it's rewarding in, in that sense. Now, we don't have to spend tons of time on some of this stuff, but you spent seven years uh, as a hostage crisis negotiator. Yes. So yes. You, you did some other things. Uh, so tell me about that. That sounds, so that was towards the end of your uh, Yeah, so that, uh, that's sort of uh, something I'd always, uh, always, interested in, but it didn't come my way till the end of my career. And, uh, and I wish I had done it earlier. Uh, but for the final seven years of my career, I was on call, um, even on vacation, uh, if you're available and you had the, uh, we started with pagers and it was phones. You started with the phone, you would have to drop everything, um, you know, get your kit on and drive to whatever um, location we require, right? So the hostages or the crisis negotiation, uh, most of them are people in crisis, uh, you know, people's on on top of bridges, um, barricaded, um, sometimes sometimes keeping someone against their will. And it would be our role to um, work with emergency services, which was your tactical teams and your frontline officers, and um, negotiate their way out, right? Like just try and get them out. And it, the goal was always to preserve life, preserve life, preserve life, and, uh, you know, find some certain common ground that, uh, you know, if you listen to me, we'll treat you well, but you're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to come out and, um, and you know, we could have to move on to the next uh, 
whatever we deal with the Lex. But a lot of times they didn't want to come out. They're going to be arrested. Well, that was non-negotiable in a lot of cases. But then you could work it through. Said, okay, yeah, you're going to come out, but you'll be arrested. But this is Canada. You're going to have your day in court, and um, you know, get you out. And other times, well, I don't want to come out because they're going to throw me to the ground. No, you listen to just uh, the directions you're given. I guarantee you will treat you with respect. And a lot of times we would come out uh, and uh, and meet the individual. And I have to say as well, like. Uh, the team that we had, uh, and I was doing it, there were six of us. I was negotiator six. And um, it's a team sport. It's not just an individual. There's different roles in the negotiating team. And um, it was a wonderful thing to be part of. And uh, my only regret, I didn't do it earlier. Favorite part of the job? Well, there was one thing I did before it was the uh, hostage, uh, on the hostage, or, sorry, the crisis team. And that was, I worked uh, or something called COAST, which stood for Crisis Outreach and Support Team. So I was one of the early officers to do that. So it was a plainclothes position. I was teamed up with a mental uh, health worker and could be a psychiatric nurse or a uh, social worker that specializes. So you talk about, okay, social worker, cop. Well, I was worked with them for five years straight. And um, we did some good work. We saved a lot of lives. And we were not just saved them the lives. Like we were trying to get to crisis before they, they got out of hand. And then you, you get people in the right direction. So that sort of uh, put me in a put me in a spot which helped me when I went to the uh, negotiating team, but also even uh, my last role was in, the, with, uh, in my last bureau I worked at was the Community Mobilization Bureau, and just the way you approach problems, thinking outside of the box, what are underlying issues, what are our underlying conditions that causing a person, you know, to move to breaking the law or becoming uh, getting into crisis. So quite frankly, I took way more people to hospital than I did to jail. Right. And, uh, and you know, we, uh, all those individuals, I mean, there's some, some real life saving that, uh, that was, that went on uh, during that. And, right. uh, you know, one example, I remember a pair of us, uh, went and talked to an, uh, a young man who was, uh, had suicidal, uh, thoughts. Um, but he was so close to doing it and we had spent a lot of time talking to him and, uh, and then at the end of it, uh, he pulled out a note. Basically, it was a suicide note that he was going to do it that day. We got to him before. And, you know, just that was a, a good uh, a good sort of uh, thing to get to, right? And, you know, he able to turn around, right? So even with uh, uh, the negotiating team, the worst day of their lives could just be that day. But tomorrow, we can get them to tomorrow. Tomorrow could be better. And uh, so that's where I really... Uh, you kind of just direct them to social workers? Sur or oh, sure. You direct them to services. Um, and uh, so like in my last position, uh, when I retired from, I was a community mobilization officer. So you think, what the heck is that? Well, it's a, just sort of a, it's a unit of officers. We get to think outside the box. So uh, at one point I would have had, uh, you know, seek permission to drive someone out of region to, let's say, to a detox center, right? Right. And no, I would just do it. It's okay. I'm going here. I'm taking so-and-so to detox. And uh and, you know, we'll get them on their way, right? And these are maybe individuals um, that were homeless and uh, um, had that a few times. Uh, you know, homeless individual. I had one of the last guys been on the street for two years. And he was under the radar, didn't know about him, and was able to connect with him, bring him into the office, just have a long talk. What do you need? We'll try and get some supports. You know, if it's just meals, okay, we'll get some meal cards. Um, connect you with their services, and I'll drive you wherever you want to be, if you have a connection where there's a family or not. In this particular case, it was a, uh, a reconnect with the family. So I got him to reconnect with his family. I hadn't talked to it in a number of years and uh, off the street. So that, uh, 
was happy about that. So I, I get the real feeling that you really loved your job. Like loved you it. loved policing. Like why, why did you love it so much? Well, so much variety. Um, and it, they just seemed to suit my character. Um, I just thought that, uh, and it wasn't, I looked at it differently than I think a lot of, uh, it wasn't about, you know, the power trooper, I want to enforce the law. It was, okay, responding to emergencies, you know, making society a better place, um, helping along some way and bringing some, you know, bringing some humanity to it. But the, the variety, it was just amazing in that position. So within my years, I mean, uh, my first time I came off the road, I, I went into the recruiting bureau, bureau. And which was good for me because hitting the goalpost a few times, I had made myself a few promises. First of all, when people come and uh, they want to apply for our job, I'm going to treat them well. We're all going to treat them well, right? And if we're, you know, if they're unsuccessful, we don't, you know, we don't have to be harsh on them. It's just, okay, you're unsuccessful, believe in yourself. You come back again, make your improvements. Um, but yeah, when I was there, that was, that was my first break. So I went from frontline officer to, uh, you know, human resources person, right? And uh, during that time, um, I was involved in the hiring of about 200 officers, and uh, we only had 700 at the time, so it was an amazing turnover. So everyone knows you, basically. Oh, you know what? A lot of people buy me coffee. Uh, I used to go to <laughs> use of force instruction, which is a mandatory uh, thing we do every year, and most of the training bureau I had been involved in their hiring. Um, so things like that. Were so good. in retrospect, it was it a good thing that you were about 30 when you finally I got was, hired. I was, yeah, 30, it, just turned 31 it, when I was In retrospect, in. does that make sense for you personally or, or for For any? me, I think I would have been uh, a good officer if I got on earlier, but I think I was a better officer because of my age when I finally did get on. And then I've been married to my lovely Laura for decades. And then uh, sometimes uh, when you get the position of police, you see a, a subtle change in people. Right. Laura wouldn't let me, wouldn't let me, that happen. So I was always sort of the same and uh, uh, a lot of, a lot of police friends and a lot of, but no, I, I pretty much stayed the same. I think anyway. I suspect you have tough days as well. Like what's the, what's the, what's the hardest thing about being The hardest thing. Uh, well, I can tell you about my worst call in my career. Um, and that was a tough one, a real tough one. I had been on the job. I think I was on the job five, six years. No, it was before. Deputy Wilkie, so I may have had five years on the job, and uh, we had an impaired driver up in Acton, and it was a collision. So the impaired driver uh, collides into another another vehicle. So then we're managing, we manage an accident scene, right? Two of us go to it. Uh, one officer uh, takes the uh, person into custody, and then I'm left with the accident scene, which involves, you know, managing uh, the scene. So I have my lights flashing, uh, might have had a flare up. Uh, uh, you range of our tow trucks are coming to remove uh, to remove the vehicles, uh, taking the accident report. Well, uh, so you're on. So I was on the scene by myself on my own, and uh, the driver of the other vehicle that was hit, not the drunk driver, the other driver was in my uh, cruiser, and I was filling out the accident report. And then he had said to me um, that I have uh, I have the keys to the vehicle. And I said okay, because uh, the tow was there, ready to tow his vehicle involved in the crash. And I remember. Uh, we talked and he said, okay, I'm going to take the key to the tow operator. So I said, okay. So he went over to the, the tow operator. Ordinarily, I would have done that. I was like, okay, I'll do it. Stay here. I'll go and, you know, drop it off at the tow guy. But uh, this young man did it. And when I was in my cruiser, I heard a big thump, screeching tires, uh, saw a car swerving towards me, veering, going, uh, going eastbound. And this uh, young man plus the tow operator had been hit by a second drunk driver right. um and it was horrendous right so then i had to deal with the scene uh, i don't know 
don't know how many feet he was flown, but uh, then he died. He died there. And uh, his wife was also right on scene, his father in law. So it was a really, really uh, tough call. So sad for the And I, that's, I had a lot of guilt thinking that that should have been me. It should have been, it shouldn't have been this young man. I should have been the guy uh, that was killed. So I carried that for, for a well, long why, time. Why so? Why? It's because. Because you're there to protect, right? Right. And uh, it could have been you or it should have been you. That's Well, I, that's where my thoughts were at the time. Right. It should have been me. So I carried a lot of guilt that right. it should have been the me The second the one in particular. Sure. We're there to protect people, not right. to put them in harm's way. Right. Now, I mean, the second drunk driver that came through, uh, I mean, there was lights flashing. Uh, tow truck and my police vehicle, he drove right through and I uh, didn't stop. So when I actually got out of the car, um, I had to manage the scene. Um for an extended period of time, and he drove away. And I had to call out to head. It was Acton, so I called out to Rockwood. You know, okay, tell Rockwood OPP, failed to remain, vehicle coming their way, closed the road. So as uh, they, need, you know, dealt with the, uh, with all the uh, crisis at the scene, the truck came back, and in the grill, there was a shovel sticking out of the grill, which was the tow guy, because cleaning up glass from the road. Wow. And, uh, you know, he does pull up, pulls over to the side. I, I have to go away from... Uh, uh, Mr. Williams there and, uh, and go to the uh, driver and, you know, drunk guy looks up and says, I, hit, I think I hit a deer. So you didn't hit a deer. Give me your keys. Yeah. Like, gave me the keys. And then and again, couldn't care if he walked away because I my priority was to deal with the injured. Um, but then another officer did come along. He was arrested and charged and served some time. But yeah, tough call. So, I mean, when I hear a story like that, I I, I think about your own mental health. Mm-hmm. And the situation. Yeah. Do you get take? do you... Is it possible for you to ask for assistance? Like, because well, obviously there's trauma not uh, to you yeah, as it, well. It right? is. And, and Alton, I have to say, like my police service I worked for, we were exceptional. We were very, very good with that stuff. And then there was a time, probably in earlier years, we just suck it up. You go to the next call. Right. Um, but um, I had a lot of support, and we had an employee assistance program. I did see someone for once, but it wasn't for me. And so many of us in the in the police. Uh, Police profession do go through challenging things like I just described. Some of them worse, some of them not quite as bad, but affects them in so many different ways. So um, I had something called critical incident stress. Uh, for me, it might have been PSD, but that's what they called it at that point. And uh, um, I had great support. We got through it, right? And good family support. Do you go back to work the, like, the next day on this? Uh, no, I, like I uh, no, that the start of, well, no, I, the, uh, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of blood on my uniform at the time, and uh, right. so I had to take uh, had to take the day off. Not from that, but uh, just uh, I needed some time. Yeah. And uh, but I didn't. I'm one of those guys that went through almost my entire career with barely missing a day off until the end. Um, right. But um, came back at the next block, though. Right. So we were four days, four on, four off. And on my days off, my sergeant on his day off came up and saw me, and uh, and we didn't live close at all. Like he lived in Milton, I lived in Fergus, and came and. That was just amazing, right? And then, like I said, other officers, so many reached out. And when I went back to work, uh, my uh, my one coworker had my uh, uniform all laundered because, like I said, there was some blood on it and stuff. And um, we got through it. How do, you, how do you know you're ready to go back to work, though, in that kind of situation, other than having a clean uniform? Well, I think I had to go back to work, right? And uh, you got to get back on the horse. Yeah, kind of yeah. Interesting. Something, uh, well. Yeah. Part of the job. Yeah, it was, yeah, you had to get back. Yeah, of course, you know, that's what I was paid for. And like I said, when I say it, I probably took one day off and then it ran into my regular days off and then came back in the next block and uh, had some support. 
But I had something even earlier happen when I was on the housing authority uh, where I got jumped by three guys. And uh, I just beat pretty good. Uh, my gave back as good as I got. Um, but I made a point of going back to work the next day. And just to just not to go to show all, them that you yeah, not to go into all the details. You didn't defeat me. But, yeah, two of us went to hospital, so right. not just me. I went to hospital, and so did somebody else. But I made sure I went back the next day, and uh, I think you just had to do it. And um, yeah, you can't let these things you know get to you. You still have a I role mean, you, to play. You must. You must. I mean, talk about having a bad day at work. I mean, you must. <laughs> you take that home occasionally. On occasion, you say you have a wonderful. Wife, et cetera. But I mean, how, how do you leave that at work? Well, I have a, well, I have a very good relationship with my my special uh, Laura, and uh, she knows when I need my space, right? Or I need to go somewhere or do something. And, she she uh, can sense that you had a stressful day. You don't need to tell tell her all the details, or no, no. I mean, uh, no. I mean, sometimes I would, and right. just like go into the. Uh, so you, she kind of knows what. Yes. Broad, in broad. Yeah, of course. And then she would give me my space or I do what I need to do. I've already been, always been active. My weight always hasn't been, my weight's been up and down, but I've always been active. So exercise, of course, is, uh, was a big part or, or so you whether ate, it's sports, you, golf. You ate your uh, stress, did you? Sometimes I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I did. I My weight fluctuated over the years. We're having pizza uh, tonight, Laura, kind of thing. Or... Oh, of course. Yeah. Yes. Let's go. Uh, yeah. Let's do that. That's, yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. yeah. For yeah. sure. Well, that's a, what's interesting about talking to you too is like you know police officers have have a life they're real people right mm -hmm. and then you um you also had some health issues yourself you have a, a son who has health issues yes yes so yeah. i don't know what you're comfortable talking about but well, uh but towards open. the end uh you you had a health scare in the last yeah few years, yeah right? so i mean uh you know it's interesting uh you know losing it's like losing contact with some of our camp people earlier on uh, I'm not sure if, you know, I left the camp scene or the camp scene left me, but things did happen. Things became very complicated. Um, I got hurt. I got married uh, younger than, I guess, the, most of the group. But then I had a child who was sick. Um, he was born with cystic, fibro cystic fibrosis. Right. Um, and lots and lots of complications. And uh, so that really put our focus in a, in a different direction. But when you talk about my health challenges, and not only my health challenges, and your uh, son is thirty-five, he, yeah. So my son is thirty-five. Um, so, perhaps not coincidentally. That's the the entire time I haven't yeah. seen you. I wonder as as maybe sure that was a focus. Um, he's always been a focus, and I have another son, Paul. Uh, that one's name is Mark. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it's always been a focus, and even to this day, like we you know we support him. But to tell you, Jim, at the beginning, we didn't think he was going to live past twenty. Right. So we're always facing with us, uh, facing that, right? That uh, we're going to live, uh, live him. And uh, the last two years have been really challenging for our family because right. not only was Mark in the uh, really difficult stages of cystic fibrosis, but I was diagnosed with uh, colorectal cancer uh, two years ago this month. And uh, it was a hard, hard go for me, real hard. And then uh, um, my wife, Laura, I was diagnosed with breast cancer last summer. So you're talking a real tough couple of years in the health department. Right. But you personally fought back. And then you, I suspect from reading your social media, you oh. you, you came back to, re you could have retired, but you came, you wanted to, you yes. wanted to retire as an active officer. Is that I, did, I did, I did. I didn't want to retire. It's like, so COVID, uh, the damn COVID, um, I was uh, diagnosed and then uh, went off 
right at the start of COVID, so March of uh, 2020. Right. And uh, I was sent home because immune system and all that stuff. And then I had a, a hard 10-month battle. Um, I was stage three, um, some really uh, difficult surgery, radiation, chemo. They didn't skip anything. In fact, even at the start of COVID, uh, radiation um, was supposed to be a 28-day cycle. And this is, oh, for you, uh, we're going to do it in five days. So I had a really, really heavy dose for five days. And uh, uh, I was okay. I mean, still in hindsight, we're really done, but, but yeah, it was just part of it, right? And, uh, you know, I may have thought I was tough uh, at some points in my life. I'm a, you know, tough person, but uh, that really tested me. And But I do know I'm fairly strong, tough at the end of it. But yeah, so I got through uh, the 10 months, uh, went back to work a little too early, uh, to be honest with you, but I was dying to get back because I wanted to retire, like you say, on my own terms. So it weakened you? Yes. Uh, so at you the lost end weight of, probably, right? Oh, I lost a lot of weight. I uh, hadn't been, went down to my weight I was when I uh, finished high school. It was, it was something else. And uh, and that's from being, you know, quite heavy at one point down to, we'll say, uh, 75 pounds less of my heaviest. I went to my lightest during my illness. Um, I'm back up now about 25 more pounds and 30 pounds maybe. I feel okay. Um, so I'll keep it at this weight. But um, when I went back to work, uh, he had neuropathy from chemotherapy. So my hands and my feet uh, were tingling. And sometimes they were, they were really numb and uh, sometimes a little bit of pain. So but it most, nerve, most, nerve, yeah, uh, nerve and mostly tingling? discomfort. But I wanted to get out there. I didn't want to do the – I wanted to get back to my old job as much as I could with my old job. And so I being uh, on the street, you mean, or uh, uh, no? At that time, I was in the community mobilization bureau. Right. So I had uh, had an office up in the uh, uh, Halton Hill Station in Georgetown, and uh, like I said, uh, still sort of an extension of the other work I had done. Problems would come to me, you know. What can you do, right? So it's like I was thinking outside of the box. Like let's say for neighbor disputes, bring people in for mediation, that sort of thing. So it was like I wanted to get back to that, but I also want to be able to. If something happens, I want to be able to go to that to that emergency. So I wanted my use of force options back. So uh, the big thing, I guess, was like the firearms. So um, I was able to load my load my uh, firearm, shoot it, but I wasn't able to load the uh, uh, bullets into the magazine. And uh, but I, you didn't need that to pass, so someone did that for me. So uh, with when you you talk about your son and cystic fibrosis. Um, there's been a lot of progress over the years. I mean, he's 35 now. And, there has and, been, yes. And you said before um, you weren't expecting him maybe even to live that long. So right. what's yeah. what's I mean, what's changed in that regard? Uh, well, um, man, this is so recent, Jim. This is like brand new. I mean, and, it, and it's right. life changing. I'll for you to share it with you because you know a month ago um, this retired. He was probably struggling the worst he the worst he had his whole life, um, but he's just been put on a new drug. That's not cheap, really expensive. Um, but we think it's a game changer. And uh, I can tell you in the last like two weeks, we're seeing, you know, not the, not the nonstop coughing, not the congestion in the lungs, um, not the digestive issues. Um, so this is brand new, but it's really expensive. So, you know, with the fight against cancer, of course, that's always there. Um, but the, the cystic fibrosis uh, world, um, we've made some strides and let's keep going, right? So I think it's a worthy cause if, uh, if people want to support it. So we're talking just a few days after this whole thing in Ottawa ended. Oh, so, um, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't, I've got a police officer in front of me. I could ask you about that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, 
I suspect, I mean, are you like an old, uh, like an athlete who is watching football? Let's say, I think you played football in high school, right? So yeah, do you, are you watching TV and are you missing it when you're seeing well, uh, yeah, and, and then cops even, in action? Okay, yeah, and just to go back just one step further, like even COVID, uh, when that happened and I got sent home, I felt like I was sitting out the war. This is when they needed us the most and I wasn't able to, to right. be there. So I did get back to work within the 10 months and did a little bit, you know, with, with the COVID uh Police response to, to COVID, um, but with this one you're talking about now, do I want to be there? Sure, I would have wanted to be there. Um, I don't know what my role would have been. Maybe a liaison officer. I'm too old to be on the, the front line. But on that whole thing, um, looking at it from the police lens, I was really impressed with the restraint the police showed and their tactics. And because I know a little bit about the tactics, I, I right. sort of knew how it was going to play out in, in certain certain things. And a few other things threw me off. Like, oh, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. But um, I, I think the officers did extremely well. well yeah, I mean, it's just days after it ends that mm -hmm. when we're recording this, but a lot of it's very political online. I'm probably slightly left of center, honestly. Yep, fair. However, that said, I mean, I, I, I was sitting on the couch for the American thing, you know, the famous January 6th so-called interaction. Uh, interaction. Yep. And in hindsight, I mean, they knew it was coming. I knew it was coming because I was sitting on the couch with my popcorn watching <laughs> it, right? Right. So, and then there's sort of some implication that they didn't have enough security or cops there mm -hmm. at the beginning, and then they were not called during the day. That's that's it's heavily implied. It's probably what happened. I mean, that's probably mm -hmm. all come out in the in the history books. So, you know, when when someone comes to our own, and, and that's the thing, it's the capital of Canada. Symbolically, mm -hmm. the, the Parliament buildings are right there. I, you know, it was unsettling to me that it would be that easy just to take over the capital. Sure, if, like from sure. a military point of view, it's like you can't let that happen and you got to get them out regardless of the politics of it personally. So that's, uh, that's. I mean, what do you think about that kind of well, thing? Well, first of all, I mean, you take the two, right? So you have January 6th and, um, and just the, the Ottawa. So January 6th, I don't think they read the crowd properly. Um yeah. In our case, in Ottawa, we think we, I think they did read the crowd properly, and there was a whole host of other um, levels of uh, response the police could have taken, and uh, and they didn't. Right? It was a very measured. Um, as the crowd escalated, okay, what is the next tact that they bring in? And uh, and I thought it was really good. I mean, um, a slow like I, said, I mean, they before they brought in yeah. the big guns, there were. Maybe the on a municipal level, slow to react. I mean, they just—I think they were hoping they'd just go away. Sure. After sure. two or three, it's almost like the Neville Chamberlain, you know, the Prime of Minister. Of, yep. Oh yeah. Just let the yeah. let people roll in, and maybe we'll be all be friends, mm -hmm. and maybe they'll leave, and they didn't leave. If you were there, the idea is no one like let's do this without. Well, anyone on, getting hurt that on, would that would yeah. be the mantra. I mean, you on think? the whole, the crowd was not really violent. There was right. you know sporadic incidents. I mean, on the whole, they weren't violent. So the police said they beat it with a certain level of, of force. But at the same time, like you said, they got to get them out of there. They can't be there. And then there's a clear law that said, you know, you're in the zone. You're you know you're breaking the law, and you got to go. And you can we can go further, Jim, as far as like that was their point made. I thought their point was made. You know, on the first day they were there, okay, you yeah. made your point. Get the hell out. The delay was something because they got more and more ground in, right? And could yeah. they have nipped it off earlier? Sure, they could have, right? Um, but they're always, policing is a profession where you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. You're always going to have a ridiculous amount of criticism based on your based on your decisions, right? 
And sometimes those decisions or those actions are in just like seconds or minutes, or they're drawn out uh, like the protests in Ottawa was. Um, but uh, I think in the, I think in the end, as you look back, the police did well in that uh, situation. So uh, you're a cop on the street. Mm-hmm. How well do you know the law? How much How much do you need to know? Because you, you're not a you didn't go to law school for four years, so you don't know everything, right? No, but you're expected to know to know everything. Right. And um, I always said I knew enough not to make a mistake. And we had this thing in, in policing. We don't want to be the person who who our bad decision results in case law that affects how we how the rest of us do our job. Um, but there was also a number of cases where we we don't have the luxury of not knowing our authorities, and um, and you're held accountable. So if you don't know, that's not a good enough excuse. But I used to say I knew enough not to make a mistake, uh, you know, a large mistake that's going to result in case law or uh, or something, you know, quite terrible down the road. I mean, um, there was also so many levels of accountability, not only accountability to your own rank structure within your, within your police service, um, but, you know, civilian oversight, SIU, um, you know, Ontario civilian complaints commission or whatever they have right now, but that's what, and I, I've been subject to that a couple of times. Um, you know, use of force, somebody gets injured because you've had to apply force. Um, you know, but let's take a look at it. Let's see uh, if there's any culpability or responsibility on the officers. I, I had a couple of situations. I was, uh, I knew even going into it that no, no, I'm did what I had to do. You know, unfortunately something happened, uh, and the person was hurt mildly, but he was hurt, and they're going to look at it, and they're going to hold me accountable, and uh, let, the, let the chips uh, cards fall where they may, or the chips fall where they may. As long as your conscience is absolutely cle- yeah, clear, absolutely, kind of yeah, you don't want to, yeah, you don't want to be deceitful. I mean, this has happened, and um, like I said, though, everybody could be, they look at those incidents that could be seconds and minutes. And they're going to dissect it. You'll be responsible for those decisions. So, you, so when you said earlier about not expected to know everything, you actually are. You have to know your stuff. You're a police officer, police con- constable out in the community. Mm-hmm. And so you meet people, all shapes, sizes, all sort of social economic categories. What, what part of society needs the most help? Because they're probably... Well, that's a hard question. I mean, there's so many areas where yeah. people need help. But my thing I focused a lot on is food. Right, food shortages, and uh, uh, food banks. Uh, I mean, there was a number of calls I went just as a regular officer, and I remember, uh, you know, you go in and you check out. There's no food. There's no food in here. And uh, I remember going out, and uh, sometimes I go out and buying food for people. Okay, coming back, and, you know, here's twenty five dollars, whatever you could do. And then I uh, that was sort of the start. Then I through that I got connected with the food bank in town, which is the Georgetown. It was called the Georgetown Bread Basket. And uh, we did some pretty substantial food drives for them over the over the last six years, uh, which basically sustained it. But so many people, um, all different walks of life, are are needing those services now, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, I really I think that's a good thing to be part of. And again, every every town or community has a has a food bank. So for me, that's that's high. that's one I would give to. So just having food on the table solves solves a few problems. Absolutely, yeah. sure. Before, sure. Or problems before they start, perhaps. Of course, yeah, yeah. Dennis, uh, thanks for Frank, thanks for coming and thanks for being so open and on, honest. Okay. It's thirty five years, too long. <laughs> good to see you again, and thanks for thanks for coming, Jim. Thank you. Good to see you. Uh, you did a great job, so uh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
Thanks for listening. If you have a comment or if you want to be on the show, send me an email at connectionsvideopod at gmail.com. And please subscribe.